can only ever be where you are right now. What is your podcast? It's the major investment in your life, right? The journey will always be your journey. Yo, what's good, my friends? It's Adam here. Welcome to the Bordeaux Podcast, episode 100, Potter on a Plane. We've got a very special episode today, my friends, where basically I did something for a first, where I sat down on a plane 14 and a half hours from Melbourne to New York, uh, JFK, and LAX, I should say, first, then at JFK. And we did some interviews on the plane, we did some meditation, we did some fasting, it was crazy. Of course, I'll say that for a second, as always, this Potter brought to you by Bordeaux.com. Where you guys can pick up the Crash Course to Kick Ass Day Game, that ebook, get your day game sorted. You can book one on one Skype coaching, dive in for the deeper level shit, create action plans to overcome your limiting beliefs, the paper walls in your mind, and to really just force change in your life, evolve, grow. And then also, of course, the deep dive boot camps. The immersive boot camps, my friend, day games, foundations, for those of you that are wishing to really have the path of illumination laid out for your social temple. Also, boot camps coming up in Canada. July 12th and 13th, one spot available on that, potentially open for future dates. Just send, slide me a DM at bordeaux.com and you can find out more about that. And of as always, guys, uh, I've, I've been so blessed by the donations that have been coming through um, from the hardcore of you. I'm so grateful. And so if you guys would like to support this Bordeaux, you can do so through PayPal, which is uh, paypal.me forward slash Adam Uwe, I believe, at A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Yeah, some of the links in the... Uh, show notes in the description whatever it is and i'm just really grateful for those of you who have been supporting the matcha fund supporting the potter all this time for 100 episodes it's crazy it's crazy to think about so thank you so i kind of honey did you at the beginning but basically yes in this in this potter i do apologize for the background noise the hum of the jumbo jet i am in but that is slightly unavoidable so hopefully you just bear with that actually i think it makes it real for those of you that are, if you want to get a feed, like a visual feed, because I didn't record an actual video angle, uh, I did, however, get a, a Jewish kid on the play to record some slow motion footage for me that I'm just playing on loop. And it at least gives you an idea of the environment I'm in when I'm recording it. So that's on the YouTube version, you can check that out. But yeah, we dive into the first, this is how the potter goes. The first section of the potter is me diving into the context of why I'm doing this on the plane. Uh, my small micro tactics behind meditation and fasting i'll save that that's some pretty interesting shit there and then also we dive into some interviews where i get uh, two passengers that were uh, around me that were very interesting and i I pull them to the back of the plane and just one of them it's an incredible spiritual journey this uh, mother and uh, wife went on and it's very powerful and then also, and just her learns and her ability. She's she sounds like she does this all the time, like podcasts all the time, but she doesn't. Um, first time, I think. And then also the vet, the vet Nisha, who uh, unexpectedly, unexpectedly, our conversation went into some very deep, deep waters, which I really appreciated. You know, so it's very, it's very. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't say any more than this. I'm just going to leave the intro there. I'm just going to allow you guys to dive into it. And I'll catch you in the end. Yeah. Yo, what's good, my friends? It's Adam here from the Bottle Podcast. Welcome to episode 100. Podcast on a plane. <laughs> I'm currently in this stairwell of a Boeing A380 Airbus, Corners. And what I want to do in this session right now is not only dive into the micro tactics of some shit, some cool shit I'm playing with on the plane, but also some much deeper stuff to do with just learning about the world learning about other people learning about yourself 
So let me update you guys the micros first, just to give you context, because I understand that there's no video feed. I'm in the stairwell, which I thought would be the quietest place to get this. So on this flight, oh, well, hold on, why am I even in the plane? <laughs> Let's get to that first. Jesus, Adam. Okay, so the reason, what I'm on, I'm, I'm on route to New York City right now, the big Ringo. And it's because I am flying there to coach boot camp with two individuals, or at least at this stage, two, actually no, it's three at this stage, two individual one-on-one boot camps and a couple in-person sessions. So that's why we're on the plane. Now, the reason why I want to do this podcast, oh, hold on, we'll get to that. I want to give you guys more of the context as to how, how things are flying and also the, what a pun, but also the, uh, the micro things I'm playing around with. So there's two things, let me get to it. Number one, I am fasting on this flight. It's my first ever time doing a international flight fasted. I've done domestics fasted, but never uh, international. I'll explain more about that later. And also the second thing is that this is my first flight with no electronic stimulation. With no, I'm not allowed to watch any movies, not allowed to go on my phone, not allowed to draw up posts, not even allowed to write down my thoughts. I'm no screen activation whatsoever. And I'm just going to meditate the entire flight. Okay, so I'll try. So there, I think that lays the land pretty well. Oh, I will give you a little honey dick on the on the deeper shit. Basically, like I I flew from Adelaide to Melbourne last night, and I stayed in a budget hotel. I was sat next to oh, this great woman. Her name was Heather Heather Forton Forton, I think. She's a leadership and communications coach. And it just so happened that we got sat next to each other with a space in between each other in which we got to, uh, you know, just jam, just talk. And I was just asking her so many questions about what her business is like, how she goes, and basically what she does is she goes around the country. She's from Canada, lives in Australia, goes around the country, just flying around, goes to corporate teams, uh, executive teams, and just coaches them on leadership and communication. And so that's, you know, that's my uh, that's my jam. I just, I just sat down there and said, well, listen, Heather, if you could only pass on a, a handful of lessons, a few lessons to your children as you leave this world around leadership and communication, what would those lessons be? And I actually wanted to do like a little mini vlog with her, not a full podcast, but like a little mini vlog just to get her, uh, get it down. However, she's a little bit older. I'd say, oh, I'm not even going to take a swig at her age. Oh, she's definitely 45 plus, I would say. And she was telling me she has absolutely no uh, social media presence whatsoever. So she was a little gun shy of that, but she did accept it to a photo. So, and I, I'm, I'm sure, I haven't done the post yet, but if you guys to my, go to the gram at uh, uitang1, shout out to the gram, double tang one uh, there's going to be a post there and I'm looking pretty seedy actually. But uh, I'll, I'll drop some thoughts around that, but I'll give you a quick clue in here. Basically what she said to me was that, Listen, there's two principles, two things I'll pass on. Number one, have lots of conversations. And number two, listen intensely. Listen intensely. And I sat there and I go, okay, why those two? Why would those two be the, the two things that you make sure your children know about around leadership and communication? And she goes, she takes a moment, she takes a pause. She goes, because you have to be able to understand people. And I just, I just drank that in. I just let that trickle down. And I just took a moment just to breathe it in. I'm like, yes, yes. How on earth are you going to understand people? 
how on earth are you going to understand yourself if you aren't willing to have conversations with many people and within those conversations listen intensely so and it's, it's funny because uh, I spaced out for a second and she goes hey you still with me I'm like yeah I'm still with you I'm just trying to absorb this in the moment right now and so since that that was last night now I went to uh, I got to the Ibis Budget Hotel quick little mention here quick little shout out to uh, Kopi the manager of the Ibis Budget Hotel in Melbourne if you guys go there just say uh, say just, oh, you probably well this is the thing I would say he probably wouldn't remember me but this is the thing he rem- when I rocked up he's like uh, last name please and I'm like oh oh hi and he's like is your name Adam and I'm like yeah and he's like I served you like many years ago you've been here before haven't you and he hasn't got it up on the screen or anything and I'm like yeah how do you know and he goes because I was still here I was still here and I'm like oh the last time I was here was when I went to Japan in 2013 with my girlfriend at the time shout out to Jay if she's listening great trip amazing trip and I'm like, how on earth do you remember me? And he's like, I've just faces, faces. If you, I wouldn't be able to go by the name, but I just like one name. Or if you came dressed in different dress, it's because I was wearing the same hoodie. I was wearing the same grey with wool, on, wool, wool trim on the inside hoodie. And he still remembered me, and it was crazy. And so, anyways, so Kobe, shout out to Kobe at the Ibis Budget Hotel in Melbourne. He's a chiller, and uh, he helped me out with the microwave. Ooh, I'll just move out of the air. Uh, get out of people's way here and, and so anyway so I, I checked in I got some food in I rock up to the airport uh, 6am or 7am and I just made a commitment to myself that I'm going to act upon that advice that Heather had passed on to me which is have lots of conversations intensely uh, I'm sure there's a lot of toilet noise going on here, so I'm going to move up the staircase it's, by the way, in the staircase, it's like right near the uh, toilet, so I'll try to go up a little bit higher. So I'm just going to act upon that, and from the moment I step into the airport, from the guy who's in the customs line just checking our passports, checking our backstory, making sure we're not seedy. Pretty hard with me, actually. <laughs> so she done that, Miss Kush? What does that even mean? <laughs> For people don't know, that's not actually what I love about my job description, what I've titled it, Social Dynamics Coach, is that it opens up so many amazing conversations. Anyways, so um, once he's got done with his questions with me, I just start asking him about his life. I start asking about, well, how long have you been doing this? What's been going on? And all of a sudden, he goes from robotic mode to, oh, this guy's connecting with me. We start having a great conversation. Move on. Just every person up until this air flight that I could, I have been having as many conversations as I can with. Now, I want to give a shout out here to, on the plane, this plane, when I rocked up uh, on this big bad boy, and I know, you know, I said it was, I said I was going to go into the micros first of the uh, fasting and the meditation. This, this is going to go organically bleed in, but this is more important. So I, I get to my seat, and I'm like the first one there. As tradition goes, whenever I take an international flight, I always get the flight attendant to take a photo of me in my come at me pose uh, at the back of the uh, at the back of the uh, back of the plane. So I got now that's like that's something I'm used to doing, but it still requires you to step out of your comfort zone, create a conversation, create a relationship with that flight attendant, and get them to take the photo of you because you're doing something a little bit strange. So I get that done. That's normal though. You can check that out on the gram. It's actually more like a come be with me pose. It used to be come at me because it's like my kung fu pose, my kung fu as uh, Brian Keller would say. But actually, no, this. Uh, 
this time I did a more peaceful pose. I, so I, I titled it on the ground, the come be with me pose. And anyways, so I go back to my seat and by the time I get back to my seat, there's a family that sat down in the row behind me and there's no one in my row yet and the plane's not really quite filled up because your boy's prepared and he gets in and on early so he can get that clean photo. And, and so I just say, you know, hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you? And this is how I start all my conversations, by the way. It's what I call the power of how are you. It's literally just no matter who it is, however they're looking, no matter what type of vibe they're in, hey, how are you? And so I just say it to her, and it's like a, it's a mom, it's a dad, and their younger teenage son. And the mom immediately just uh, just starts lighting up, and she starts, her name's uh, Sheila, by the way, shout out to Sheila, and uh, Shining Sheila, I call her, helps with the mnemonics to remember people's names. And we start talking, we start getting into it, and we end up somehow, I'm not sure how, but we start getting into this mad conversation about meditation and how she's been learning meditation for the last six months from a guy named Dr. Joe Dispenza. I'm like, oh yeah, I've read his book, uh, Evolve Your Brain. It's got some interesting stuff, so she's really into that. Also, I start mentioning, oh, he, got a, yeah, he started the Culture Hours yet, the uh, Daily Culture Hours. By the way, just a quick update on that, guys. Going strong. Even this morning, the Ibis Budget Hotel Culture Hour. Yes, sir. It's fucking tough, though. Like, like, when you're not in your home environment, it's tougher to maintain that discipline. But I've been doing it for like a year and we're in June now, so January, February, March, April, May, April, May, June. One year and three months I've been doing daily cold showers every single morning, first thing. Mama. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so I say that to her and she goes, oh, are you uh, into Wim Hof? Have you been doing Wim Hof? And I'm like, yes, I know all about the Wim. And you definitely need to use these principles when you start cold showers for sure. So we start talking about this stuff, and we start diving in, and then I start diving into the backstory of uh, of uh, her husband. Her husband is a professor at Deakin University, uh, Jimbo. Shout out to Jim. I'm sure he's actually a very well-to-do man, so Jimbo doesn't suit. More like uh, Professor Jim, Professor J. He's an architecture uh, professor. And then their son, Ethan, is studying film. And so I just start talking to this, and all of a sudden we're connected. And one thing you'll notice is that when you step up, and you give other people the space to just open up, relax, listen, we're going to be on this plane for the next 14 and a half hours. We may as well be human beings about it. What you notice is that everyone around you is just starting to take their seats. They just start looking at you and they start getting attracted like a light bulb. And you can see they want to get in on the conversation as well. So as this is happening, the girl who's sitting in my aisle uh, arrives as I'm like deep in this conversation, balls deep in this conversation with this family behind us, and uh, shout out to her, her name's Nisha, and, and I, you know, I say, hey how, hey, how are you, but I'm kind of in the middle of this conversation, and so I let her sit down, but I know full well that the moment I sit down, bang, here we go, the next conversation, so I, sit, uh, I finish up my, my little thread with, uh, with the family, and then I sit down, and, say, and I just go straight to her, hey, how are you, like a legit one, you know, I, can't, I acknowledged it before, but it's the legit one. And then from the moment, and also I'm going to say this, she's probably going to slap me in the face the next time she sees me. Uh, <laughs> it's chill though, she's chill. She looked like she was not in the greatest uh, of moods. You know, everyone's kind of in their own little bubble when they get on the plane. But uh, of course I just came out and I'm like, hey, how are you? But she, she crumbled straight away. She crumbled. She, uh, she's, she's such a chiller. And we immediately just start talking and we start vibing big time and and we just tend out, as I keep referring to it, 10 out of 10 conversation to the point where we were just laughing so much, having a great time that we didn't even notice that the plane took off. 
we didn't even know that the plane took off. Like we, we were in the air and I just like paused the conversation. I go to her, listen, I don't know if it's just that this conversation is 10 out of 10 or did you just not notice that the plane took off? Um, I didn't notice the plane took off. Do you even realize we're flying right now? And she's like, I kind of registered it, but no, I know what you're saying. That kind of just, how, does it, how do we even get here? And this is the thing, my friends, is the flow. The flow is the flow. It's the present. When you are in the flow, you can be, you can go through a jumbo jet taking off the ground and you don't even notice because when you're just that present with that person you're staring them into their souls you are looking through the windows which we refer to as eyes and we look through them and we get into them and you're just there with them all time dissipates all concept of space you know we say time and space dissipates when you're in the flow a lot of us can relate who have a meditation practice to time dissipating but it takes some real it takes some real chops to get into the meditative space in which that space itself disappears. That really only happens when you... Those happens in your best of your best meditation sessions where, you know, a lot of times in your meditation sessions, you get to that point where you have absolutely no idea how much time passed by. It could have been five minutes, could have been five hours. You don't know. However, to completely lose sight and calibration of your physical space, that's when you enter the deepest of the deepest flows and it doesn't happen every time and sometimes it takes a lot to get into that so but that's what happens when if you I, I doubt I would have got into that and I definitely wasn't aware of that when I was talking to the family but because I had just gone from all these different people having conversations with in the airport person after person after person and then with the family and then with Nisha it was like that was like my kind of that was my runway that was my takeoff to be able to get into that flow space of her and I just felt that was like super powerful now I want to just kind of take a pause here for a second as to what I were, what I'm planning to do with this uh, podcast 100 Potter on a plane I don't just want to stand here in the stairwell I would love to get uh, a couple other people up here if I can to come just talk with me I want to ask them some questions I want to see if I can get Nish she's a vet she's been like a vet I'm not sure for how many years but she's got some crazy stories and also uh, uh um Sheila, there we go, and Sheila as well. I don't want to get her to talk about meditation. Also, there was a uh, shout out to Nathaniel, nice Nathaniel. He was uh, he's a really cool flight attendant. I was talking about while I was stretching. So I do at some point like I'm gonna try and break this pot up into sections. I'll make sure that I mark it though for you guys so you know what the hell is going on. It will be separate files, obviously. I'm just gonna walk around with this microphone live. <laughs> that's a bit strange. It doesn't make sense really. But okay, so I'm gonna pause that now. That's the context, and that's like I guess the flow of it all. Oh, let me someone. That's someone up the stairwell. That's the, uh, that's where we're at now. Now I want to go into the fasting and I want to go into the meditation. So the reason why I am currently fasting uh, on this flight is because I heard some, I think it was Joe Rogan, I think it was like a, like a brief conversation. I haven't actually looked into the research, but it was like Joe Rogan was uh, talking about apparently when you fly, especially international flights, if you cannot eat traveling across time zones, it helps you to reset your body clock a lot faster. So that's why I'm fasting. And that's actually really easy for me because I do fast, I normally fast 16 hours a day anyway. This flight's only 14 and a half hours. So that's okay. Um, that's normal. The temptation though is the psychological when everyone else is eating around you. So um, I'm doing well though. I, do, I think we're like maybe four or five hours into the flight. I really don't know because I haven't been looking at the screens. But, uh, They've had the meal service. I'm feeling good. That's why I'm fasting to help with my jet lag. 
hit the ground running when I get into the big Ringo, also known as the, for those of you like, what the hell's the big Ringo? Uh, Ringo, Ringo is uh, the Japanese word for apple. Anyways, so now the meditation, the big part of this was the challenge because the last international flight I had was a few years ago coming back from LA. Let's go up the stairwell. A couple people up the stairwell. Was a flight coming back from Los Angeles to Sydney and I had the hell of all hell flights in which that there was a mother and her two five-year-old toddlers sitting behind me and the toddler sitting in the seat directly behind me decided that he thought it would be a great idea to train his leg press for the 14 and a half hour straight flight just kicking the shit out of my chair as hard as he possibly could and you know it's like oh it's only a toddler no no this toddler had some kick he was like training for the olympics type aggression and it was like from that first moment when i sat down i'm like holy shit how on earth am i going to survive this for 14 and a half hours this is insane and I'm sitting there in my chair getting so worked up, getting so frustrated just in my mind. And I'm like pushing against the chair, and which only makes the toddler push harder. It's like we're fighting each other. I'm fighting him, trying to get him to realize that he can't break my chair. But that makes him want to push harder. And I realized that at a certain point, actually it got to the point where like the, the people sitting next to me were like looking at me like, like really worried looks. Because they, they were okay, but they were worried for me. And then a flight attendant came up to me and said, listen, uh, is everything okay here? And they kind of gave me the look on the face, like, we can move you if you, if this gets too intense. And so I, and then I'm like, I'll think, you know, I'm okay for now. As in, like, I'll think about it. And so I, she, she leaves, and I just kind of sit with it. And what I realize is that I just take a nice deep breath. And I ask myself, Adam, Where is the real disturbance here? Is the disturbance the toddler kicking you in the back of the chair? Or is the disturbance in your mind? And I just like sat with that question for, I don't know, maybe five, 10 minutes before we took off. And what I realized as I observed the kicking, as the, as the force was smashing my chair, what I realized was that the actual pain of the toddler kicking my chair was not painful at all. Yeah, it's an it's annoying like it's it's moving me it's it's hard enough to move me but it's not actually hurting me there's no actual real danger to myself at this point and what i realized as i observed myself was that the frustration and the anger was because of my inability to come present with the moment at hand i was stuck in all these thoughts around how on like what why first off anger towards the mother why isn't the mother controlling this toddler? Why isn't she doing anything about this? So there's tons of aggression there. Then there's also the aggression around, why me? Why, why, why do I have to be the only one here who sits for the next 14 and a half hours with, that has to go through this? And what I realized that those thoughts were the thoughts that caused the most pain. Yes, there was some annoyance caused by him pushing the chair, but it's nothing compared to my own inability to be present. You know, it's my my attachment, my ego's attachment to comfort, to, to, uh, to standing, social standing, to, to what it expects to receive on this flight and how, how is it going to deal with this in the future, you know, past and future. And, def- and so I just thought, well, what if I could just maintain my presence? What if I just sit down here for like five minutes 
And listen, if you can just breathe and be present and you're still not happy, I'll get the flight attendant and we'll go move seats. So I made that deal with myself. And so I just sat there and breathed. And you know what? Very quickly, very, very quickly, I came into the presence of now. I let go of my ego. And along with that, my frustration left me. My anger left me. I started feeling good. And I sat the rest of the 14 and a half, 14 and a half hour flight with that toddler kicking my chair the entire time. And I was fine with it. Uh, I never, I need someone to drink the stairwell. I never once experienced that level of internal discomfort, frustration, anger through the rest of the 14 and 14 hours, I guess, after that. I, I was happy to sit there and the, and the toddler never stopped, by the way. Kept kicking the entire time. And so that's when I realized the power of meditation on flights. And also I, I continued to meditate on that flight, but I meditated with music, with this awesome Chinese Buddhist meditation. Shout out to the resource of wisdom, uh, boldojo.com forward slash resources of wisdom. And there's in that, if you go to the music section, I, I link to the Chinese meditation playlist that I like to listen to. However, I wanted to step up. Now, I know that was a real segue. That was not even a segue. That was a real tangent of a story, but I felt like it was really important for me to paint that out because of what I'm about to tell you, which is why I'm doing meditation the way I am on this flight, which is that I need to challenge myself. You know, if this is the condition, we've got to keep involving. And so I said, well, what if I could spend the entire flight completely unattached to external stimulation in the form of music, in the form of uh, visual in the form of you know movies, TV shows, etc., etc. Now, the only thing essentially you're allowed to do, Adam, that I made a deal with myself, is that you're only allowed to meditate, you're only allowed to have conversations, and you're only allowed to record a podcast. That's it. You're only allowed to record content, so it's you have to be working, you have to be evolving yourself, you have to be upskilling yourself. That's the only thing you can do. There will be no passive Patrick Starfish mode right now. And so that's what I said. I'm like, and it seemed pretty daunting at first, but I'll tell you right now that we're about, I would say roughly four hours, maybe five hours into the flight, the 14 and a half hour flight. And I've done three rounds of meditation so far. And I've roughly, now I don't know exactly how long they've been for because I'm not looking at timers or anything like that at all. It's just that I roughly have an idea, roughly. I've done three sections though. I've done three blocks of like what, what has felt about an hour that I don't really know. And what I do is after that hour, I come back down to the back of the plane and I just stretch out, do my stretches at the back of the plane and you know uh, do some deadlifts, do some squats, just body weight. And then I'll go back, you know, get some water and I'll, I'll hit you guys up with the water uh, recipe in a second as to what I'm doing with the water. And then I'll go back and I'll do another block. And then once I feel like, and basically the way that I know that uh, it's well, not the way that I know but a like, sign for me that I need to get up and move is that if my lower back starts to ache or if I really need to go over the toilet then I'll just go back down stretch up go back down for another block of meditation and just go and just go and I'm just, this is I'm just rinsing and repeat right now that's all I'm going to do I'm just going to keep rinsing and repeating this this method and so oh yeah I was going to hit you up with the water so to let someone down the stairwell go for it so the rinse oh, with the water set up uh, basically, the only thing I'm consuming is filtered water with Himalayan rock salt. And I've just got like a one liter Evian bottle. And I've just been refilling that and putting like a teaspoon, not even a teaspoon, like a quarter teaspoon, definitely not a full teaspoon, don't do that. 
<laughs> shout out to Mike. Shout out to Mike who told me once to uh, consume an entire teaspoon of Celtic rock salt. Just, just eat it. And, and, I, and I almost threw up. I, no, no. I was like, I was like, oh, I almost died. I almost died. I was like throwing up in the bathroom. Almost, pretty much. Like just gagging. And I said to him, Mike, are you sure I was supposed to eat a teaspoon of uh, of uh, Celtic <laughs> sea salt, Celtic rock salt? And he goes... I think you said like a quarter teaspoon out of it. A quarter teaspoon out of it. <laughs> it's like I'm pretty sure I came close to killing myself at that point. Anyways, so yes, tight, like a quarter little teaspoon. Flight attendants thought it was a little bit seedy, but I assured them it was just salt. And uh, so I've just been putting that in a water, in a litre of water. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Lovely lady coming down the stairwell. <laughs> uh, so... So yeah, that's all I've been consuming, and in terms of energy levels, feeling great. Uh, very, very aware. Uh, I don't feel tired at all. I don't even want to sleep as well. That's the other thing is that if I did want to sleep, I should probably sleep on New York time, which is what Heather told me on the flight previously. But I don't, don't even need it. And so it's down the stairwell. But no, you're right. Yeah, so this, this is what happens. This is what happens if you're standing in the stairwell. And uh, so I'm feeling very good energy-wise. Now I think that's the good wrap-up. But those are the those are the two things or the three things. The uh, lots of conversations, intense listening, the uh, fasting, and the meditation setup. Now, what I want to do throughout the rest of this pod on a plane is that I want to have conversations, even if they're just like five, ten minutes, just bring people to the back of this stairwell and just like, just I, I just want to get their core cool lessons from life, really. That's really what I'm about. And if I find something more specific, I'll dive more specific on that. But this is where we're going to peace out for now. I guess we're going to call this part one of. Uh, Potter 100, Potter on a plane. Yes, sir. I'll uh, catch you guys. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put some audio transitions in so you know that we transition from conversation to conversation. I'll probably do a summary as well at the end. So, Oh, shit, I'm so glad I'm doing this. I'll get back to the meditation now if I can't find someone that I want to uh, have a little conversation with. So, peace. And we're back. Okay, so I've already found my first guest on this podcast on a plane. It was uh, Sheila, who I was talking about before. And... Uh, first off, Sheila, do you just want to give the listeners a bit of context as to who you're about, who you are, what you're about? Um, well, um, I'm, um, I've been on a spiritual path since probably since I was 18, like a conscious healing path. Um, but as I went through my journey, I realized that a lot of um, experiences I had as a child were... A little on the unusual side. Unusual, um, how so? Um, like I had a lot of spiritual experiences, even though the, my family of origin were not particularly spiritual. They were, you know, more religious. Mm. Uh, I was raised in a Catholic family, um, conservative Catholic family, um, but I had some very early mystical experiences that only now. I'm starting to put in this context of, um, you know, after so many years of a spiritual path, being able to see that these seed, these were seeds, and maybe even like my soul was communicating with me, letting me not forget who I really am, and um, also I think it, I was always seeking even as a child, um, even though I didn't understand any of, of it at, you know, at the time. Um, so what's really beautiful now 
is um, to be, you know, having raised a child, uh, gone through motherhood, um, and now I'm entering into that phase of, you know, being a mature woman, um, and just being able to step into that wisdom, um, that um, that knowing and starting to have a deeper understanding of, you know, all those little things that had happened, well, big things, that happened when I was younger that I couldn't understand at the time. And now um, it's like it comes, it's coming to me in a much more holistic way. It's like I understand what those things meant now in a deeper context. And it's almost like the timeline of my life. Um, it, it's a weird thing, like Dr. Joe Dispenza talks a lot about how um, we, by meditating, um, we go to, ultimately you want to be in that place of no time, no place, uh, where you're no one and you're nowhere, because that's when our consciousness is more expanded. Resuming part two, I just had to go grab a new fresh set of batteries I did not want to miss what Sheila was talking about. So I wanted—I was going to dive into, uh, you're talking about these spiritual experiences you weren't able to interpret when you were younger, but now as you go into your journey, uh, motherhood, could you give us an example of one of those uh, experiences and that you've been yeah. able to reinterpret? So the most recent realization I had was um, I was at the advanced uh, retreat in Mallorca at Dr. Joe Dispenza. And we did, um, on the third morning, I think it was, we did a walking meditation on the beach at 6 a.m. And um, I had, as a three-year-old, I had gotten lost on the beach when I was very young. And um, I was looking for seashells and I was in the zone, you know? Like I was really having some kind of mystical experience that I never understood um, at that age. And, or at least maybe some part of me understood. Um, but what happened was when I, I came crashing down when I realized that I was lost on the beach and I didn't know where my family was and I had walked miles um, so then I went, you know, in that, I, I suddenly was panicking, trying to find my family. And because of the family that I grew up in, I thought they would leave. Because I never felt part of that family. I thought they would just leave me there. Um, so there was like this real um, panic as I tried to get back and find my way back. And I had no idea how far I had walked. And um, so, you know, that, that memory has been a very powerful memory that I don't think I ever understood the full impact of until recently at the beach in Mallorca, I again had this amazing mystical experience that morning doing the walking meditation on a beach. And it was like somehow that three-year-old was healed, you know, of that of that experience of, you know, the, the, the negative 
half of that experience after realizing like I'm lost, right? Um, so it was like all of a sudden, it was like the three-year-old and the 53-year-old were merged in time. And um, I got to have this mystical experience on the beach that morning. And I was safe. I was safe and there was no fear. There was no, like I knew I belonged. And it was like putting that mystical in a whole other context in, in my life and it was really magical to feel that it was healing and, and a part of me that maybe had been somewhat afraid of having mystical experiences because of that early trauma that was connected with an early mystical experience. It was like somehow that was healed that morning on the beach in Mallorca. Powerful. I have a question about this because it sounds very intuitive, and maybe in the time you weren't sure of the mechanisms that were going on to help that, help process that healing. But now, in retrospect, can you think of if there was a a certain thought, a certain action, something that triggered that? Like I'm thinking about the people listening. If maybe they're have some type of uh, similar experience to you. Mm-hmm. When you look back on that, is there some type of advice you would pass on to help someone enter that same space or process it that w- in a similar way? Well, um, I've done a lot of different kinds of healing work. And the first time I became conscious of, you know, I think I was uh, 28 or 29 when that memory had come back in a healing session I was having and the healer had said to me um, that she had said something had happened to me when I was three or four where I had made a decision to stay in this family right and in this body and finish out this life you know that I had chosen even with all the trauma that I was living through and so it was that memory was what came to me when she was speaking about this this particular trauma where I made a decision to stay you know that sometimes she had explained that many times around that age as humans we will have a choice to continue or a choice to check out um and so that memory had become sort of like this anchor. Um, and, you know, even with all the other healing that I've done and different kinds of therapy that I've done, where that memory has come up and that little girl, you know, healing that little girl from that age, even with all the years I had worked with her, you know, that little girl trying to heal her and love her. It wasn't until... Um, so am I, am I right in saying it was more of a, a process? more yes, than, And that was, was more just the okay. uh, crescendo, like the, the epitome of that mm-hmm. work you've done. And I think the, the Dr. Joe, when I started doing the work with Dr. Joe, because so much of his work is about self-love, uh, opening our heart, I think I was able to um, 
access the deeper healing and the mystical connection. You know, the, the, I didn't realize how much that early memory, because it was married with a trauma, had um, stood in my way of feeling that those mystical experiences are safe. You know, and um, there have been many things that I tried when I was younger, different kinds of meditation groups and different kinds of new agey things. And I found that um, many times the other people that I would meet would be these really ungrounded people. And I would start, you know, kind of becoming ungrounded myself. And so with Dr. Joe's work, because it's, it's so much about becoming really conscious of your unconscious thoughts your patterns your programming you know that's part of the work so that you're not just meditating and running to that mystical as your answer you also have this inner work and this inner healing that happens because you're doing you're doing both that's really important that's really important i want to shout out to uh one of my good mates Mikhail, who he works in uh, Bali at the moment in Indonesia as a uh, creative for a group of a group over there known as the Yogi Lab, and they're very much about bringing. I'm sorry, Miguel, if I'm absolutely butchering your tagline, but it's about bringing spirituality into practicality and making the spiritual practical for and pragmatic for everyday people. And it sounds like what you're talking about there is uh, right on the money. And I think there is there are many people who you know they've had traumas in their life and they get into some kind of spiritual practice as an escape and when I was younger I was attracting those kinds of people and those kinds of situations and that's why I never I hadn't found a, a teacher or a guru when many of my friends were very um, into one teacher, one guru, and I kept looking because I, I, some part of me knew that I needed something much more grounded sure. and um, something where it wasn't pure escapism. Sure. It's powerful. All right, I don't want to keep, us, keep you too long here in this okay. stairwell. Um, <laughs> so I want to wrap up with this because it's just a thing that's been uh, burning on me lately. It's actually quite uh, relevant because uh, your son is actually... Uh, some rows back up at the top of the plane but I would like to know imagine maybe it's, it's a little bit a little bit brutal to say you know most people go imagine if, the, if you're on a plane and it was about to crash maybe not that let's just say <laughs> imagine you're about to leave this world in some way mm-hmm. it's your dying moments if there was any one two maybe three things that you felt were absolutely crucial absolutely critical from your life lessons that you would condense down to Ethan to pass on to him uh, what might those be you mean if I had no more time left and I needed to quickly pass on the truth and these are the things that you wish that he would he would know I would really stress that following your heart um, being your authentic self um, is key um finding a practice that resonates with you and doing it whether for him it's he really wants to get back into kung fu um, and I think that that helps ground him and the, the physicality and the discipline 
um, that's required. I think for him right now, being 18, that resonates more than sitting down and meditating for three hours or an hour. Um, and then also just finding authentic friends, people who really see his inner beauty, people that, um, because that's one of the most healing things you can do for yourself is to no longer accept being around people where you're compromising who you are. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's where we'll wrap that one up. So uh, thank you so much, Sheila. This has been, uh, so this is the first time I've ever done this. So thank you so much for being the first uh, airplane, air, airplane uh, Potter guest. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adam. All right, guys, I'll, uh, we'll transition to whatever happens next in this podcast. Uh, see you soon. Yo, my friends, we're back. Round two. I'm with uh, Nisha, who I was talking about before, in the stairwell. Stairwell sessions on Potter 100, Potter on the Plane. And uh, I somehow wrote to her to come away from her epic movie and to come and uh, share some stuff. Now, I mentioned before that she's a vet. And she was blowing my mind with some stories about dogs eating entire leashes and uh, crazy stuff like that. But that's actually not what I really want to dive into of her. But before we do here, I just wanted to give uh, Anisha a chance to uh, give you guys an idea of who she is, what she's about, whatever thing she thinks is important uh, to know. So, Nisha. Hey guys, my name is Nisha, 26, mm, practicing vet for two and a half years now um, in a tiny town called Whittlesea in Victoria which means we see all kinds of ridiculous, crazy things because we're the only practice in the area. Um, have no idea what this podcast is about, but mm. definitely excited to find out what's about to happen. Yeah, I've given them absolutely no context. All I've said is that this is Potter 100. They have absolutely no idea what it is about. Um, so here we go. I was giving her a lot of shit before as well about Whittlesea. Because yeah. <laughs> even Arlene is from somewhere, small town of Victoria. Okay. So uh, one thing I wanted to know, one thing I was really curious about was the decision to dedicate your life to being a vet. Um, do you remember making that decision? And if not, as you are now, why? why? So I made that decision at six, six years old. Um, just really loved animals and I couldn't see another way to live my life aside from treating them and so pushed ahead committed and luck a little bit of luck and I ended up here yeah uh at six at six six. and I like this idea I like this word you just threw out of luck talk to me about that what what lucky things had to happen for you to be in this spot so I was lucky enough to be able to go to uni in Sydney coming from America it's a pretty big deal um I was lucky enough to get into one of the better programs in Australia. Lucky enough that it was only five years instead of the eight that it is in the US. Um, I feel like a bit of luck got me through all my exams (laughs) and everything. Um, And then happened to get a job that is amazing. I work in a practice that is really high quality. Yeah, it's my first interview. (laughs) So. Yeah, that's like, that is luck. That is the definition of luck. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's not as complicated as I thought. I thought there might have been like... No, no, it was all just fell into place, really. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I wanted to know was now, like, that's, like, going way back. I want to go way forward with you. 
because actually a lot of my mind, a lot of the things I talk about uh, with the guests I have had on before is future and kind of where they see themselves, kind of like end game. And I was wondering if you like, what is the end game with your vet? Is it having a utopia island called Nisha Island where all edibles, it's like Ace Ventura too, where all edibles just absolutely treat you like a deity and you just run that shit? Or, you know, what, what do you see maybe like well further down, 60 years, 70 years down the track? I don't know if I'll be practicing that far down the track. Vet science and vet, being a vet is pretty physically demanding. But future-wise, pretty much doing what I am now. Just treating animals, doing surgery, living life. <laughs> it's really not that different. Just being more comfortable with it instead of being terrified to go to work every day, having an animal's lives in your hand. Terrified? Hmm. How long were you terrified for? Oh, I'm still terrified. I still go to work scared every day that I will make a mistake and someone's animal will pay for it. That's real. We were talking before about, I asked you what it's like. This is when we were sitting back. And uh, when I, if you guys remember earlier in the podcast when I said that 10 out of 10 conversation and uh, how we did, uh, this is the intro she hasn't heard yet, so she's smiling. <laughs> um, I asked her during that time what it was like for her and how she deals with having to put animals down because uh, I've had to put both of my beloved uh, dogs down and be present for that and and we've already talked about this but you just want to kind of elaborate on that just a little bit now and how you process that as a human being so it is the hardest part of our job but it's also kind of the most rewarding because we get to be in a position where we can help owners say goodbye they don't have to make a major decision they don't have to do anything they just have to say I'm ready and then we do the rest and it's nice to be able to give them <clears throat> that little bit of peace knowing that they are in control of when their animal passes mm. and was there ever a time where you found it super difficult to do it or did you have like nightmares about it or was there any kind of I guess what internal work internal dialogue maybe you had to go through maybe your your season now but maybe back before through uni it was a lot of build up because through uni we don't do it and so the very first time that I euthanized a dog yes talk to me about this it was when I was still a student actually um, and the vet that I was doing placement with said look this dog these people don't want to be present he is healthy dog otherwise do you want to do this it'll just be you and me um, and I said well I don't really but I feel like I need to I need to start somewhere um, and I think that helped because there was no pressure for me to do the right thing for me to say the right thing it was just give the injection and so that was a good starting point because the injection itself is pretty confronting and once you've seen that, you kind of know what to say from there. Because you've seen what, what it does. You know how to explain it. You know how to talk them through it. I just, my uh, curiosity peaked then when you said that. What is your go-to? What is your, uh, maybe not script, but your structure and what you might say to someone? So I always start with how we're going to do this. We always put an IV line in. 
and then once we've done that we sedate them we give them the lethal injection these are all the potential effects of what can happen but the most important thing and the thing I always say is you are taking away their pain and as I'm giving the injection I say every time no more pain every dog every cat and that's the most important thing really that's why we're doing it yeah of course yeah. so it's nice for them to hear that and know that we recognize that's why we're doing it have you ever had to deal with any like extreme reactions to once you have already uh, injected people get really emotional once it's final um, but in that situation often we ask them if they want to be on their own and often they do they want to spend some time with their pet that's just left we leave them come back in a few minutes and we check on them and they're usually all right they just need that space but people get pretty pretty emotional I've had clients throw themselves and their dogs and cats afterwards and just be hysterically bawling but you just give them space dude yeah usually I'll sit there for a minute or so until to see if they can sort themselves out and if they can't then I'll leave the room have you ever had to do this with any of your own animals no not yet I've only ever had a dog growing up and she was adopted when my parents and I moved to Australia we adopted her out so I've never had to go through it with one of my own I don't know how I would cope with that yeah, you know the way the way those questions go. Yeah, <laughs> I really don't. Would you do it yourself, or would you have someone else do it? I've never thought of that. I've never realized that I'm in a position to be able to do that myself. I don't know. I really don't think I would know until it w- I was confronted with it. Yeah. Just something interesting here. Have you seen the documentary Choosing to Die? What do you think about it? I think it's part and parcel of what we do. I think we should be able to give people that option. Really, that's what I've thought for as long as I've known that we could euthanize animals. Why not people? I fully, I actually fully agree. I've always felt that way, but for those that haven't seen that documentary by uh, Sir Terry Pratchett, it just follows the lives of people who have to travel to Sweden to uh, undergo legal euthanasia. And it's, it's powerful. It's one of the most powerful documentaries I've ever seen. It's amazing. It's, it's like no surprise that you've seen it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, that side of things is intriguing because it relates to what we do. So I was pretty interested. This is very left field. This is very left field. This question comes in. So take this wherever you want to take this. Because right. uh, things are getting real now. Do you believe in some form of afterlife? Or what, what, what do you... Do you have any ideas of what might happen with these... Uh, if not just animals, but uh, definitely humans as well? I think there is some sort of afterlife. I don't have an idea of what it's like. Because I think it's different for everyone and every being. But... There is something, there is somewhere that you go. And whether that is coming back as someone or something else, there's something. Yeah. Are you religious in any way, shape or form? I am not, no. That I doesn't guess. surprise me, either, just because your answer was very open. 
not uh, doctrinated, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. It wasn't directed by anything. It's mm. just... It's just what you feel. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Uh, there's one other question. Yep. Because I feel like that's a good point for us to now... Hey, things got very emo- things got super emotional. It's almost like we're in the Titanic here in the stairwell, <laughs> waiting for the water to come down. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I've, for some reason... Uh, I've just decided to end these little mini uh, interviews with this question. Yep. It's just a thing now, so let's do it. Okay. Imagine we're in the scenario right now. I was a little too, uh, I was a little too nice, a little too polite with the with the last with Sheila. Uh, I gave her too too much of an easy out. Let's really make this real, okay? Let's say that this plane's about to go down. Yep. For anyone in the stairwell, it's not, <laughs> okay? But let's say it's about to go down. But somehow this audio survives, and the world gets to hear this audio. I know you don't have well, you don't have children now, do you? No. Okay. Let's say if you did have children, and you were able to pass on one thing, maybe two, maybe three at the maximum, of things about that you know about life that you would like them to know, whether it's uh, things you've learned through, I'm sure through uh, your veterinary adventures, uh, but it could just be life in general the things you would like your uh, children to know uh, they're never going to see you again but they could hear you say this take your time with it as well big question yeah it's a very big question I think anytime I give knowledge or advice it's pretty general so for me I've liked the way that I've lived my life and that's been making my own decisions and following through with them. Making decisions that aren't always comfortable, but still following through. Um, because you could end up with an amazing outcome. Um, and just being spontaneous and adventurous and go do things that are out of your comfort zone. like. That's the only way that you will experience life in a complete way. You're not just closed off to whatever's going on around you. It's you're getting out there and experience things. So I would tell my kids to live life that way. And that's pretty much it. There's nothing specific. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's very similar to something I say uh, all the time, which is... Uh, experience is life's greatest teacher mm. you know like mm. you can rubenize all you want you can youtube watch as much as you want you can seminar attend as much as you want yeah. but if you don't get out and do the damn thing nothing yeah, happens you have right no idea what it's like mm. hell yes that was uh <laughs> I'm, I'm very shocked with uh people would assume that based on the last interview i did and this one here mm. that you two do this regularly I don't know if it's because of the stairwell. There's some like a, orange neon lights. Or something yeah. About this. Um, you picked a good spot. There's something good about this. So, uh, Nish, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you sharing some actual, some really intimate stuff. And it's, it's been an honor. Thank you. Yeah, that's all right. As long as someone can learn from it, that's the goal. That's it. <laughs> all right, my friends. So, as is the fashion of all we've been doing here, I'll park it here. Oh, just a quick update. I'm on round six of the meditation feeling good still haven't eaten uh some of the flight attendants are getting worried 
<laughs> they're trying to feed me, but I'm like, I'm good. I'm putting my salt in the water, and uh, it definitely looks like crystal meth. It's not. They get a little bit worried. One of them said, what kind of substance is that? But it's not a substance. It's salt, <laughs> which I know is a substance, but you know, when people say substance, it's literally sodium chloride. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the update. Uh, I'm going to try and get uh, one of the flight attendants on next. Hopefully we can get that done. And then maybe sweet, we sweet talk my way to the actual pilots. That would be a little bit ridiculous. So until then, uh, yeah, I'll pick you guys up in the next one. Uh, yeah. All right, my friends. This is the summary of the uh, first ever, at least in my account, Pottle on a Plane. Pottle on a Plane, episode 100. I At this stage, I have not recorded a little mini interview with the flight attendant aka the flight master Nathaniel shout out to him if he's listening because uh, he's a very busy man and we've been saying all flight that we're going to do it but I understand it's, uh, there's a lot of people to serve on this flight and a lot of things for them to do so it would have been cool if I could uh, I was going to ask him a couple questions around uh, hell stories and uh, also Disney magic stories around what it meant in his experience being a flight attendant and uh, maybe some other things but anyway like I've got to record the summary now because just to update you we're like 40 minutes out from touching down in the United States of America uh, Los Angeles LAX and I'll be connecting onto JFK New York after that which is I think it's a decent leg I think it's about 7 hours or so so current update I've done 8 rounds of 1 hour blocks of meditation roughly one hour some of them might have been slightly longer some of them might be slightly shorter but it has roughly worked out to be around that um i the only time i looked to check was because i brought my phone down to get one of the kids uh to record some b-roll of me uh sitting for the youtube version just sitting on the steps in the stairwell so if you're listening to this on just purely audio go watch the youtube version to get an idea of what it looked like in the stairwell uh, it's interesting not that i'm there with any of the um oh hold up Hold up, they're giving us a message. <laughs> oh, touching down 10 minutes past six. Okay, we're back. That was just the uh, customs notifications. Cheers, mate. Now, finishing this up, what was I even talking about? Oh, all right, the hour blocks. Yeah, because I got one of the kids to films with B-roll. Go check that out on the uh, YouTube version if you want to check that out. Anyways, uh, where was that with? Oh, yeah, the fasting, update with the fasting. I feel amazing mentally. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Alright, we're back. That was the pilot, I believe. Anyways, continuing. I just want to finish the summary for fuck's sake. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, fasting is amazing. I, uh, I feel mentally very alert. I haven't slept at all. Just doing these uh, eight rounds of meditation. I'll go do another round before we land. And uh, I'll continue the fasting on the seven hour leg to uh, JFK and continue with the meditation. I probably won't do any recording there unless I meet some absolute superstar to interview. But this has been a crazy experiment. I thank you guys so much for listening. I'm going to run the proper outro in a second, of course. But this has been incredible. Episode 100. Uh, 100. Ha. Pot on a plane. Thanks, guys. Catch you soon. Roll that outro, baby. Thank you so much for diving in on this potter, my friends. Potter 100. It's been an absolute journey, and I thank you so much for being along it with me. For all the support, whether you've slid me a DM, whether you've sent me an email, whether you've donated to the podcast through the PayPal, uh, even if you've just stopped me on the street and said, hey, listen to the pod, I love that shit, keep it up. Anything and everything, all the support has just meant the absolute world to me. This originally started as just a a uh, just, just a way for me to export my deeper level thoughts around social dynamics, 
I remember the first poto I recorded, I believe, was in Melbourne. I believe episode one of the Samurai Sessions. So we're actually over 100 episodes. There's like nine episodes called the Samurai Sessions. If you go really far back on the channel, you can find them. But when it was rebranded to the Baldojo podcast, that was like episode 10, I think, which then reverted back to episode one. So, but anyways, that, that was in a Melbourne Airbnb when I just began, when I just branched out of Adelaide to start coaching on my own. And so since then, it's just been an absolute journey. And I just, I thank you all so much. It really means the world. So if you guys would like to connect with me outside this portal, the best way to do so is on the gram at uitang1, double oitang1. Uh, you can slide me any of your contacts, your individual stories uh, to me at boldoja.com in the about section. There's a contact form there. And yeah, if you would like to support the portal, you can donate anything that you wish with the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash A-D-A-M-O-O-I. And I think without being said, here's to another 900, huh? Hey, here's to another 900. You know, like the reason why it took so long for me to do this episode, it's been like three weeks since we did a potter, is because I knew I'd be flying. I knew I'd be flying across the world and I wanted to do something special. We don't normally take three weeks off the potter. It could even be four weeks at this point. I don't know. So don't worry, the frequency will be up. And um, I'm wishing you all the best in your lives. Much peace and much joy.